It's good to be here again together after being canceled the last couple weeks. And uh, so we've kind of slid forward our preaching schedule a couple weeks and slid forward our missions offering a couple weeks that we intended to take a few weeks ago as well. So first of all, I just want to invite everybody to stay afterwards. We're having a potluck lunch. Uh, We support seven different missionary couples around the world um, closely, two of which are we are the official sending church for, commending church. And so we have Lucas and Lois Richard with us this morning who serve in Liberia. And so we're going to hear a report about their work in Liberia among a Muslim village uh, over lunch. So please stay, even if you didn't bring anything, stay anyway. There's going to be food and it'll be a good time. Um, And so we're going to take a missions offering that we do every quarter for our missionaries uh, right after this here. So please give generously. Um, And just to highlight a couple things, so Lucas and Lois, and they'll talk more about this, but they're they're out in kind of a primitive rainforest jungle setting. And one of the things that would help them in their ministry would be to put up a a home away from the school where they're ministering. And so uh, just maybe keep that in mind as you're giving, that there's some specific needs of the missionaries that would really help them in their work. Um, and enhance their ministry, and one of those for them is putting up a house. I would really, I think it's like $15,000 to get a duplex put up with a water well pump and everything all together. So, I mean, that's not too bad. I think the Lord could provide that, and we could be a big part of that. Um, Other needs around the world, um, just thinking of Bob and Sue Cohen in Uganda, Dana Georgiana Akins, and uh, Pablo and Bethany Calderon in Romania. So those are a couple of young couples that we're connected with. Uh, some of us went to Bible college with them, and uh, they're, they're out there in Romania. They've committed their lives to serving the Lord in a far-off place at a very young age, and uh, you know, it's, it's good that we can invest and support some younger missionaries like that to invest ourselves as a church in the work of the Lord through some up-and-coming couples uh, serving the Lord in places like that. So uh, Micah and Amy Tuttle, who are in Peru and kind of in Dubuque as a couple of their kids are entering college. He was just back there in Peru traveling down this Hualaga River among 30 villages out in the jungle. And he sent back reports that are just amazing and unbelievable, but just people hungry for the gospel, hungry to receive Christ. And so when we give and when we pray, we're partnering with them in their ministries like that. So let's just pray now and then we'll move forward. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to gather together as believers. Um, And we just pray, Lord, for your spirit to move among us to stimulate our minds and hearts and to worship as we sing songs of praise, as we hear your word. May your spirit make it alive in our minds and not just an information transfer to our minds, but a, a transformation within our hearts as the spirit makes the word alive in our hearts. And Lord, we pray for our missionaries. We thank you that there are those who are called to go out into all parts of the earth and to preach Christ. And we just pray, Lord, that as we give and as we pray for them, that you would bless their ministries and encourage the missionaries. And may this time with Lucas and Lois be a a real blessing to them and to us this morning too. In Jesus' name. Welcome you here this morning. If you here are here and you happen to be here 
as a guest or if there is something on your heart, there is on the bulletin an extra flap there. So if you are our guest this morning, I'd appreciate it if you'd fill that out and you could just leave that on your seat as you leave. Or uh, if you're here as a regular attender and there's something you'd like us to be praying for or some information you'd like us to have, uh, please uh, fill that out and you can leave it at the information table as you leave this morning. Uh, I want to, uh, looks like we have the, uh, a new addition here. I see the Grubs are uh, carrying their little grandbaby, so we're, we're excited for them. And congratulations to, uh, to well, the grandparents, but it's not their baby. It's, the, it's uh, Natasha and Nate's baby, so we're just grateful for that. So thank you. Good to see you this morning. Um, just uh, by way of clarification, yes, I uh, returned from vacation. I was actually privileged to be in uh, the Mesa and Phoenix, Arizona area on the all-time record low temperature, all-time record low high temperature on February 22nd, uh, 2019, beating the record high, low, low high, I guess I should say, in 1897, so uh, just so, so you know that that's the, kind of the way it was. At least I wasn't like Rod Clarkson and trying to golf. So it was uh, pouring down rain all day, uh, two days, and it was not. Cold. It was very cold, and it snowed six inches in Scottsdale, Arizona. I think while we were there, so uh, it was really an interesting uh, vacation. But God knew what I needed. So, uh, and my wife was supposed to join me, and she was not able to join me because flights were canceled leaving Des Moines. So uh, it was just one of those things that you say, okay, Lord, what are you doing? Uh, we were just rest in that. Let's pray. Father, we have so much to be thankful for, and I ask that as we open up your word, uh, that you'd speak to our hearts. I know I need you to speak to my heart, because these are deep truths that I want not just to know in my head, but to wash over and be a part of my heart. I want that for each of us, by your grace and for your glory, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. He stood on the Brooklyn Bridge, just ready to jump over the edge to his demise. As he was ready to make that plunge, he was grabbed by the back of the neck, the collar, and rescued by a policeman. And the policeman said to the man, listen, I'll make you a deal. We'll both sit down and for five minutes we'll each share. You can share why you think that life is hopeless and helpless and while it's worth ending it all and I'll share with you for five minutes why I think life is valuable and productive and that you should stay the course. They each took their five minutes to share and the deal that the officer made with the man was if after the five minutes, you're not convinced, you can jump and I won't stop you. Ten minutes later, they had both shared their stories and they both stood up and they joined hands and they both jumped over the edge of the bridge. <laughs> Can't even tell you for sure if it's a true story. But what I can tell you is that I think it provides a, a somewhat of a metaphor for the culture and the society in which we live. A culture and a society in which we live where the temptation to despair, the temptation to discouragement, the temptation to give up is pressing in upon us. We live in a world, a world of racial 
tensions. We live in a world of gender confusion. We live in a world of religious persecution. We live in a world of economic fluctuation. We live in a world that is fraught with political corruption. And all of these things can bring us to a point of saying, I don't get it, I don't understand it, and I am feeling hopeless and despairing. Increasingly, people are turning to other things or other people. They're turning to, to drugs. They're turning to alcohol. They're turning to possessions. They're turning to people, a certain person or a certain political agenda in hopes that somehow after we remove God from all of that, that whatever it is will provide us hope and help in a world that's confusing. And it doesn't provide it. So, you know, with people with a godless secularism, escape sort of makes sense. And it's kind of an option because there's no other hope. But even in the church, inside and outside the church, there are forces that are bringing even those who profess faith in Christ to discouragement and despair and kind of like, drawn us away from our, our devotion to Christ and our commitment to follow the Lord. And the author of Hebrews, as we've been studying through the book of Hebrews, has championed faith in Christ, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, faith in Him as the only, only, only permanent solution to human hopelessness. And he's laid it out for us, and he's given to us. And for professing believers, faith is the only antidote to turning away from the faith. Faith is the only solution that provides for us perseverance and power to persevere through all that life throws at us. That's it. Faith in Christ is it. We read last time we were together, so actually three weeks ago, in Hebrews chapter 10, that the righteous shall live by faith. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. The righteous, those who are righteous by faith, will live by faith. That we will hang on, we will persevere. That it, consistent faith is the only safeguard for conceding failure in life. Consistent faith is the only safeguard against conceding failure. So the author of Hebrews in chapter 11, as we move into chapter 11, now moves us from the prescription for hope when life is hard, that was Hebrews chapter 10, to a picture of what genuine faith that enables endurance looks like. He said it's the only option for permanent help in human hopelessness. Now he's going to give us a picture of what all this means, this faith that enables endurance looks like. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, we begin in verses 1 through 3 with three insights into genuine faith that motivate us to embrace it and also to exercise it. So I'm in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read the first three verses, and we're going to spend a few weeks teasing out all of these examples of faith. But we have to begin, first of all, with the definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of the things which are seen. Or are visible. The first insight we get is kind of a definition. It's not the only definition. It's not an exhaustive definition. 
but it is a definition of faith. What is faith? Well, now faith is. And this is, I always love it. You know, when you're reading the Bible, it's kind of like, now faith is. Okay, faith equals. This is it. It's pretty, I'm a simple guy, so it's simple stuff. This is what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. He continues the discussion that he began in chapter 10, verses 26 through 39, that elaborating on faith as the enablement for endurance, apart from which we don't receive the promises of God. Assurance means certainty, confidence. Things hoped for refers to the promises of God. So the assurance of things hoped for, it's certainty, confidence in what God has promised. Faith is investing such certainty or such confidence in what God has promised that the future promise becomes our present reality. We believe it's true now. What God said is is true for us. Faith is taking the promises and commands of God so seriously that we actually decide we're going to live according to that. It becomes our guidebook for life. P.E. Hughes in his commentary said, The Christian is animated by the conviction that it is the very things which are not yet seen, those things which he appropriates by faith, that are real and permanent. He walks by faith and not by sight. So that Daniel, when the king had signed a decree that anybody who bowed down to any god other than the king would be cast into the lion's den, what did he do? He went and prayed and continued to pray. Three times a day. Confident that regardless of whatever human price you would pay, the promises of God were true. He would stay true to God. And that's the kind of faith that we're being, is being discussed here. The assurance of things hoped for. I asked this morning, I'm going to ask you, where, where do you take seriously God's promises? Where do you take seriously God's proclamation that it's true and I'm going to order my life according to its truth regardless of how it seems to the world? We just took up an offering, right? Do we give like it's true? God's promise? Matthew chapter 6. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. Do we really believe in 1 Peter chapter 6 where he says, Let the rich of this world lay up for themselves a storehouse of treasures in heaven. Like, okay, so we're like paying it forward. Right? So we're, we're giving now in light of God's promises. Do we really believe that we cannot outgive God? You know, I love Luke 6 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So you give, and you give back. You know, and then you give, and he gives back. Do we really pray for our enemies, for their well-being, for their prosperity, not just for their destruction? You know, it's not everyone should be praying imprecatory psalms on your enemy, you know. God, strike them dead! Do we pray for their salvation? 
which is Matthew chapter 5. I mean, these are the things that Jesus asked us to do, right? Do we believe what God says? Do we speak up for Jesus? In the classroom, in the break room, in the boardroom, in the lunchroom, and in our living room. Do we speak up for Jesus? He's the one who said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father who's in heaven. I know a, a person at their workplace, quite often, this person will pray with and for their co-workers and the people that they're working around. And I, they've told me sometimes, and, and they said, yeah, I suppose I could probably lose my job if, I, if, if, they, if they found out about this. By faith. The conviction of things not seen. That we're so confident that what God has promised, what God has prescribed, what God has proclaimed, that we're willing to live now as if it's true. That's what I see in this text, Benjamin Watson, NFL uh, football player, responded recently to the cheers of the New York State Legislature. The New York State House passed a law permitting expanding abortion to include the third trimester. And when the bill passed, the entire legislative body erupted in applause and celebration. And here's what Benjamin Watson wrote in a, te in a tweet. It is a sad and evil day when the murder of our most innocent and vulnerable is celebrated with such overwhelming exuberance. Living by faith. Are we willing to deny ourselves? Deny ourselves. You know, I don't know what TV shows are on Wednesday night, but you could stay home and watch whatever garbage is on TV on Wednesday night, or you might come out and help with Awana might make an impact for Jesus. You could spend the time praying. We could spend the time praying. We could come out sometimes as we've had, which was really ironic because what, what, two Sundays ago there was a group of people out here scooping the walks so we could have church and then we didn't have church. People have been coming and volunteering their time, sacrificing their times for the sake of Jesus, believing that it's, it's better to serve in light of what Christ has said. This is the, the Conviction, then the next phrase just parallels the first phrase. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. Assurance goes with conviction. Things hoped for are the things which are not seen. So as faith is moved from the academic to the pragmatic, John MacArthur puts it this way, the person of faith lives his beliefs, his life is committed to what his mind and his spirit are convinced is true. So that every one of the people that we're going to be studying in the next few weeks, beginning with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, are illustrations of this kind of enabling faith. Faith that is put in practice that enables us to endure to the end. Noah built an ark. You know, we think about it. There had never been rain on the earth, and God told him to build an ark. Abraham left his homeland. Moses left Egypt, all on the basis of what God had said, and they couldn't see the end result, but they did it because God said go. 
You do it too. I did it. I got her an airplane. There's a thing called gravity. You know, we're not supposed to fly. But I got on an airplane, believing that we could defy gravity, at least temporarily. Every day, most of you are on your phone or your tablet or your computer, and you're sending emails and you're sending texts and you're buying stuff online and you're trusting in cybersecurity. You can't see it, but you trust that it's there. You believe that it's there. Christians believe what God has said. We trust what God has said. We love and we serve our spouses when there's no guarantee of reciprocation. Out of faith. We take time to pray and read our Bibles. You know, this is the thing. Is, well, we got to have devotions. You know, we have to have our daily time with Jesus, you know, because that's what the pastor says. you got to have time with Jesus. Well, if we have a relationship with Jesus, then spending time with him only helps us get to know him better. And when we get to know him better, we want to get to know him more. And so we do these things out of faith. Sometimes I don't feel like it. But when I do it, and I spend the time, and then I get to know him, and then I realize, yeah, it is worth the investment. And all the things I thought were so very, very important, somehow it all gets done. When I set aside time to put my priorities with Him. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Not seek first my own, and then you fill in the blank. My own studies, my own work project, my own house project. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I mean, I, I didn't ask if I could say this, so I might get in trouble. I have to ask for forgiveness. Sometimes it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. But Bob Short left the corporate world by faith. You know, nice salaries, good benefits, this. Now he's working like, I don't know, I hope God brings it in. You know, I hope God takes care of me. No, he's trusting in it. He did it by faith. So there's a definition. Then he moves in verse 2 to the desirability of faith. Why would we do this? It says in the verse 2, for it is by, for it, by it, the men of old, by it, faith, the men of old gained approval. The men of old are the people that he's going to talk about, you know, shortly. They gained approval. Gained approval derives from the word testified. It was testified that they were approved by God because of their faith. F.F. Ruth put it this way. They received the divine commendation. Okay. And the link to chapter 10, verse 38 is, is pretty obvious. If you, uh, I have to turn the page. You might not have to turn the page. But in 1038 it says, But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Therefore, if he has faith and he lives by faith, God's soul has pleasure in him. But if we don't live by faith, then his soul he has no pleasure in us. 
What meets God's approval is our faith. First of all, our saving faith. Faith that brings us to the point of surrender and yieldedness and trust in God and His Son Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross as the only payment for, to purchase our pardon and forgiveness. Now, I wish we had time, but it's interesting because in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, and then in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, and then in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and then in Galatians chapter 3, we have this quotation of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, or the fleshing out of it, and here is the deal. Paul says in Romans 1, 17, the, the just shall live by faith. Okay. What I believe he means there is, the just by faith shall live. If we're justified by faith, then we have life. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 says the righteous shall live by faith, which means that if you're righteous by faith, you will live by faith. Because he's drawing on Genesis chapter 15 verse 6. Abraham was believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. How are you righteous? By faith. So if you're righteous by faith, Genesis 15 6, then the righteous will live by faith, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And then Romans chapter 1, verse 17 says that the righteous by faith, those who are justified by faith, will live. The just by faith will live. So that's how it plays. He's pleased with our saving faith. He's pleased with our living faith. And those who are righteous by faith, if we have believing faith, we have behaving faith. I hope I didn't confuse you on that. If we believe and have saving faith, then we will necessarily have living faith, behaving faith. And those are what pleases God. It pleases God when we, our obedience is evidence that we really are a child of God. And if we really are a child of God, then our faith gives us the enablement to endure whatever life throws at us. Therefore, we won't shrink back and we won't shrink back and we won't be one of those poor souls that he describes in Hebrews chapter 10. So there's a definition of faith. There's a desirability of faith because it pleases God. And then finally, there's a demonstration of faith. It's shown to us. Verse 3 is really fascinating to me. And the more I think about it, uh, it it's more fascinating. Before he moves on to the number of examples, the men of old that he just mentioned in verse 2, and he picks up in verse 4, before he moves on to them who exercised faith and gained approval, he establishes that the whole of Christianity, the whole Christian enterprise is predicated on the absolute certainty of what God proclaims and promises. God's word is true, let every man be a liar. All of what we believe in is based upon what God has proclaimed and what God has promised. And notice the key word there, by faith. Now, you're going to see that word a lot of times in the next several weeks. By faith, 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 by faith. By faith. It's the key phrase that introduces every example in chapter 11. And it means that we accept as the unquestioned reality that the visible world was not made out of what is seen but by God's word. Our confidence in God's word to create and to continue what he has created is the basis for our conviction 
that he is to be trusted. We believe God's our creator. We believe he's our redeemer. And interestingly enough, he created the world. And through his son whom he used to create the world, he recreates in us. He's our creator and redeemer who through the new creation fulfills the purpose and plan for the original creation. That's what God did. In Christ, he reconciles all things to himself. He made the world to be in perfect harmony with himself. We sinned, fell from grace, and now he works through his son to recreate within us what he originally created, a world that's perfect in which there's harmony between God and man. Now, verse 2. The worlds. He said he created the worlds. This is the same word that was used back in chapter 1, verse 2. Meaning the entire universe. He created it. The entire universe. Time, space, energy, gravity, the law of entropy, you know, neutrons, protons, electrons, and ons that we don't, other ons, you know, he created them all. The North Star is located 400 trillion miles from us. Everybody understands the law of gravity. We've all learned about the law of entropy. That's increasing disorder in everything. You know, that's why you will have to repaint your, or resurface your deck. Is because there is this deterioration of junk on this earth. It's just the way it happens. That's why we get older, we ache, and we feel and have pains in places we didn't know we had places because we get older. This is the law of entropy. Things become less complex. And none of this is accidental. None of this is coincidental. It's all intentional. God did it. And he made it. And what we see was not made out of the things that are... This is what blows my mind. Everything you see here, I mean, not what God made, okay, not, not what man made, but what everything God made was made out of that which was not seen. Now, whether it was just nothingness and then God made it, or whether it was just that it couldn't be seen and God used things that we couldn't see and made it is a debate that we could go into you know you can go to Genesis 1 and 1 and you can say that he, he, he spoke and there was nothingness and he took the nothingness and he made somethingness and then from verse 2 on he took the somethingness and he fashioned the somethingness out of what he had originally made from nothingness it's kind of my idea. That's I mean, not my own idea, but I, I think that's kind of how it worked. But anyhow, what, whatever we see was made by God was not seen originally. But notice, to accept that by his words God created what is seen out of what is not visible is not an empirical analysis. Now, empirical means that you can feel it, touch it, measure it, and study it because none of us was there. So we can't have, it's not, it's a statement of faith. It requires enlightened faith. Notice the text says, verse 3, by faith we understand. It indicates that it's not blind faith. It's not ignorant, ignorant credulity like, oh, well, I can fly, so I'm just going to climb to the top of the Sears Tower and jump off. 
No, it's not idiotic faith. We understand it's enlightened faith based upon the revelation we have received. You look at the fact that every single snowflake is a different pattern. You look at the fact that every thumbprint, every fingerprint is a unique pattern. It's not an accident. It's marvelous creation. It's marvelous. You look at the fact that white light reflect, refracts into various colors and physical substances which consist of subatomic particles held together by forces in perfect equilibrium form liquid, solids, and gases. It is not an accident. It's like, whoa, this just blows my mind. When you look under a microscope at a singular cell and you see things moving and you see activity going on, you go, that's not seen, but something happened. And it's ordered. The fact that the human kidney filters 185 quarts of, of, uh, of water through the blood is, is amazing. And that the human heart pumps 5,000 gallons of blood every single day. Unless you're a marathon runner, and then it's probably much more than that. The most brilliant minds cannot accept creation by the word of God apart from faith. Because none of us was there to measure it. None of us was there to document it. But God has declared it. And he's demonstrated his ability to do it through the complexity of what he created, I think. Now, you don't have to agree with me, but that's what I think. And because his word tells us. He says, by the word. This is utterance, speech. He spoke it. By the word. We understand that everything was made by his word. He spoke it. Well, Genesis chapter 1. This is the pattern. Then God said, let there be, and there was. Then God said, let there be, and there was. Let, God, let there be, and there was. So it's, there's light, there's light. There's an expanse, there's expanse. There's uh, vegetation and, and ground, and there was vegetation and ground. There was a sun, moon, and stars, and then there was a sun, moon, and stars. And then there was, you know, the, the, the birds and the fish, and then there were birds and there was fish, and then there was land, animals, and creatures, and there was all these creepy, crawly things, and then there was. Then there was man, and there was man. And he spoke it into being. Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the hosts thereof by the, breath of his, by the breath of his mouth. Verse 39. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. God just said, boom. Let there be light. There be fish. Where did they come from? From what was unseen. And we believe that. Because when we look at the world and we make empirical observations, it's too complex for it not to be that way. You can't get a second chance. You know, this is the thing that drives me nuts about science. You know, they say, well, this is really scientific because over millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years that, you know, that the marsupials uh, developed a pouch that, so that their babies could go inside. Well, you get a marsupial that's digging, not a 
not a kangaroo, some other marsupial, you know, that, that's crawling under the ground, burrowing under the ground. Well, if the pouch is the wrong direction, then the babies die because the dirt goes in there and, drown, and, and smothers the babies. You know, you don't get a second chance at which direction the pouch goes. You know, the blood clotting system is so complex that if it doesn't happen the first time it happens, then the person dies. Well, how many people do you have to go through before it perfects itself? Well, you don't have that many people to go through when there's only one person to begin with. So Adam would have bled to death. Or whatever, Nebraska man, you know, whatever they, you want to say. But Nebraska man turned out to be a pig anyway, so uh, it, was a, it was a pig skull. It's too complex. Not accidentally. Not accidentally. It is God's word as utterance which brought us creation. Now get this. Through God's word as son. S-O-N. God's word as utterance brought us creation through God's word as son. S-O-N. Who also brings us recreation. The God who said, let there be light, has shown the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ in our hearts. He spoke the world into being through his Son, and through his Son, who is the Word of God, he brings life to us. He brought creation, and he brings recreation. Believers accept without question, but not without reason. We don't turn our brains off to believe in Christ. God's claim to have spoken the world into being. Unbelievers, you know, they're going to deny, and, and if you're here this morning and you're, you're an unbeliever, you deny that God is the creator. And, you're, and there's all kinds of other things that we offer up as possible solutions to mankind's problems. You know, we're going to find some other God-absent, self-autonomous way of explaining how everything should work. And... Uh, what happens when we deny God as a creator? It leaves humans unaccountable. I want you to think about this. When there is no God, there are no rules and there is no law. And so everybody is unaccountable. Everybody makes their own rules. Not only is everybody unaccountable, but every activity, uh, there is no activity that's unacceptable. Well, what I want to do is fine. Why should you argue with me? Because it's my right to do what I want to do. Do you not hear that in our culture? I have the right to do this. We have the right to burn in hell and to go before God in his throne of grace. That's what we have rights to do based on the scripture. But we are living in an age when everybody's demanding their rights. So without God, denying God as the creator leaves us unaccountable, which means that every activity, there's no activity that's unacceptable, and it actually literally leaves a society which is unsustainable. It leads to anarchy and chaos and devastation. I mean, we have, we have one of the prominent presidential candidates running around saying that they don't have to tell the truth because whatever plan they have is what's best for us. It's morally superior. And that's part of the problem, too. We start looking to politicians. We start looking to political um, policies as, as God, like some utopia that we can create on this world. Because we, we leave God out of the situation, then we have to create it on our own. 
So Christian convictions. And what do we believe? Honesty. We believe in the dignity of all humanity inside and outside of the womb. We believe in marriage between one man and one woman for life. We believe in the definition of uh, human sexuality. We believe in human depravity that all of us are born sinful and separated from a holy God who is just and righteous in condemning us to hell, but who sent his son to to provide salvation if we would put our trust or our faith in his death as the payment for our sins. And all of this stuff that we believe is under assault in the world in which we live, increasingly in conflict with cultural norms. It amplifies the tension for believers. By faith, we compassionately We are supposed to be compassionate. We aren't always. And courageously counter the culture. We confront the culture that's hostile to our faith. By faith, we do that. We live in a world where discouragement and disillusionment and despair are commonplace. And I don't know about you, but even as a believer, I I get discouraged. I get discouraged by what I see happening. Is it not disheartening to you that the New York legislature celebrates and major people in political positions think that it's okay to terminate a life of an unborn child or a born child even, some of them, even after the child is born simply because it was a botched abortion. That is heinous. That is barbaric. Or should I say it's human. It's fallen humanity at its best, at its worst. And yet God has given us hope in his son. Hope in the world. The spiritual vacuum that's created by secular humanism encourages hostility towards believers and fuels hopelessness among us among the lost. The only solution is faith. Trust in Christ. And what Christ did on the cross is a payment for our sins. Only through our trust in Christ it places us into the family of God which provides us with the only source of real hope. We have the answer that people are looking for. We just need to be sharing it with them. It's in Christ. The answer provides us. Faith evidenced by our obedience proves we're in the family and it provides us the power and the energy to enable us to fight the good fight of faith. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. It is his power that works mightily within me, Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, that enables me to proclaim to you. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and instructing every man, that we might present every man complete in Christ. And it's the power of God that does it. So, you're here, you're an unbeliever, you say, I don't know about this stuff. All my invitation to you is you can look around, you can, you can dabble in whatever you want to dabble in, but my guess is you're just going to find it empty. It's going to leave you vapid. It's going to leave you empty. The only thing that provides us with power and resources, the purpose, first of all, peace with God, pardon from our sin, purpose in life, and power to continue comes only through faith in Jesus. 
And as we take this bread and this cup, which are a remembrance of his body broken and his blood shed for us, we celebrate the victory that we have in Christ. The one who created all things has made it possible for us to be recreated in him in new. By him, all things were created. In heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or powers or principalities, all things were created by him and for him and by him. All things exist. I just invite you to contemplate what it means to walk by faith, a living faith. It comes as a result of believing faith. That gives us purpose so that we don't talk to some guy on a bridge and say, yeah, I guess you got a better plan than I do. Let's just jump. No! There is life in Christ and there is reason to live and there is purpose beyond whatever it is, the problem that you and I face right now. He's given us victory. So I invite you to spend a few moments and reflect and And rejoice in what God has done and come and take these elements. And if you don't know Jesus, I invite you to come and to the one who is the only source of hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your son Jesus. I thank you that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I thank you that by it the men of old gained approval. And I thank you that, Father, you created the world's what we see from what is unseen so that what is unseen in the promises you have given to us, we can have confidence that it will one day be seen and live our lives in accordance with it. Even though the price we pay on this earth may be very dear. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your death on the cross that gives us pardon and peace purpose and power to live in a world that is against us. We pray in Jesus' name. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountains I could not climb. In desperation I turned to our hope is never misplaced when we place it in Jesus Christ and he proved that he is worthy of our hope when he rose from the dead Um, let's pray that God would continue to help us to grow in our faith you know um, we can also confess to God that our faith is weak and ask him to help our unbelief that's what Peter said Jesus, help my unbelief. So, um, we'll sing this final song.